spirit is rising, she's rising, she's rising. The spirit is rising, it's rising, it's rising. The spirit is rising, they're rising, they're rising. Hi, Risa. Hi, Amy. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Welcome to the Missing Witches Prescription. Yes, it's the weekly RX from us to ourselves <laughs> and to you. It's how are we fucking surviving this week? Um, how are we crawling through smoke? How are we breathing when the walls come down and there's rot in the walls? How are we finding calm when our skin is itching and alive with pollen and dander and rage? <laughs> and mosquito bites. Yes. Oh, my God. And so many mosquito bites. Yeah. And, you know, the swarms of proud boys and the terror of fascism. How are we? How are we surviving? How are we enchanting? How are we resisting? That's the question we're here to ask every week. <laughs> and we'll give you the things that helped us get through this week and maybe they'll help you get through next week right mm -hmm. lift me up amz how how'd you do it this week how'd you keep your head up <laughs> i uh, i actually brought a, a couple of um videos today instead of songs and the first one that i wanted to mention is a a, a full-length documentary about the author judy bloom mm -hmm. and it's so wonderful. It's so emotional. Molly Ringwald is in it talking about, you know, what an effect Judy Bloom had on her. And I want to say, like, even if you're not familiar with Judy Bloom's work, and if you're not, let me say, like, she wrote YA novels that were extremely honest, you know, um, about masturbation and you know having sex for the first time getting your period for the first time and 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 questioning god that mm. one that one really hit home for me when i was a kid <laughs> we're allowed right. to question this other kids question this in kid voices yeah are you there like you know at a certain time in the world even asking like is god there is was very very controversial right so here's this woman who, in the documentary, she claims to have total recall. Because I always wondered, like, especially now that I'm, you know, older than she was when she first started writing the books, like, how did she get to this level of honesty and and recollection of, of what it was really like to be 11, 12, 13, 14 years old and like having these thoughts for the first time, having these feelings for the first time. Yeah, and apparently she has total recall. She can remember what she was thinking, what she was wearing, what she was doing on any given day. So I guess that's, you know, part of the, the, the real brilliance of her is that she actually remembered what it was like to be in those places but for us who don't necessarily have that her work can really like bring us back and transport us and she took a lot of heat you know she it continues to be on banned book lists because you know she dared to write about a little girl touching herself or, or getting her period or you know and so like I say like to this day she she comes up on on banned book lists her books are, are still getting banned you know 50 years later <laughs> um, but the really like super emotional part for me was that a lot of the documentary focused on her archive of letters that she received 
from young people who either felt like they had no one to talk to or they couldn't talk to their parents. Some of them are like very dark, like I can't talk to this about anyone, so I'm just going to write this letter. And Judy responded to like every, personally responded to like every letter that she got. And you see in the film, she's got these archives that are like bankers boxes stacked on bankers boxes full of the letters that she got. And oh, plus like, Again, you'll you'll see this. I I really hope that you'll watch this documentary, whether you've heard of Judy Bloom or read her work or not, because the documentary gets in touch with these people, and then they're sort of looking at these letters, and some of them they're still friends. Like some of them, Judy Bloom was their auntie, and so they would write, you know, I'm 12 years old and I just got my period. Like, I'm 14 years old and I just started high school. I'm this year. I, I just got married. I just got my first job. And continuing, like, Judy went to the, the graduation ceremony of one of the people who wrote these letters. Like, And I was watching it thinking about how amazing that is, like, both on the part of Judy Bloom to be creating this work that prompts these letters, but also to like receive them in such a generous way. And also, um, you know, the fact that these kids felt brave enough to write down what they were thinking, you know, I'm sure most of them thought that they would never hear back and that they were just, you know, shouting into the void as we do, but they weren't. And it made me so emotional seeing this like human safe space of an author writing, you know, mostly specifically for young women. And then not just putting the work out to the world, but like receiving everything that came back. And I, I was watching the documentary and I, I was getting so emotional. And then I got super duper emotional because I kind of realized like, this is this is us too. This is this is missing witches too. Like we get so many emails. We don't get too many, you know, paper letters in the post anymore. Although it's a thrill when we do. Um, but we get these emails, and sometimes they're like, "Celebrate with me! I did an amazing thing." And sometimes they're like, "I don't know how to deal with my family," or "I'm in the broom closet." how do I approach this subject with my grandmother or what, you know? And so I'm watching this Judy Bloom documentary and, and I'm weeping, <laughs> just weeping like for Judy and for me and for Risa and for every single person who has ever written us an email out of joy or sorrow Um, I'm going to, in that spirit, share something that someone someone sent to us but part of the prescription this week you don't necessarily have to write to us but like think about your favorite author think about your favorite somebody um recently I just I just got a book um Matt Baum's Hi Honey I'm Homo and Matt Baum is one of my favorite cultural analysts he's on YouTube and he all of his videos are sort of about like queerness in pop culture so this book focuses on sitcoms um but his youtube channel is like films you know i think i i discovered him when i was just like looking for john waters content so that's me just like what else can i learn about john waters today and so i i wrote to him 
you know, not like a long letter, but just like, you know, keep up the great work. And I do that knowing that I love it when it happens to me. (laughs) And so if you don't have a favorite author that you want to write to, you could also just like send someone you love a text that's like, I'm proud of you. You're doing great. We live in such a competitive society that when someone just sends you a text, like, I respect you, I appreciate you, like, that's a daymaker, which means that you can be a daymaker for somebody, which, you know, is one of my favorite things. But before we, before we get too far into that, I want to shout out Karen Helmstead, who wrote to us, um, she's a Canadian expat journalist based in Berlin. And she made a short documentary. It's less than a half hour, so it's definitely something that you can you can check out called A Witch in the Family, where she goes and investigates her her bloodline ancestors who were witch hunted and discovers kind of a long lineage of her witch hunted family. And then ties that into contemporary witch hunts that are happening all over the world. You know, my response to her was that the doc was inspiring and upsetting, which is like exactly, you know, what a documentary on this subject should be. So that's my second, third, where am I at? Fourth part of the prescription this week. We'll obviously we'll put the link for you. Check out A Witch in the Family and keep your eyes open because Missing Witches, the book flashes up on the screen along with uh, many other um, witches that we know who have written books. So definitely check out this documentary. It was, again, wonderful and horrible, but only horrible in the ways that, you know, witch hunts are horrible and continuing violence uh, is is horrible. Um, but just to watch Karen, you know, go to these cemeteries of old and, and walk around and and get not just the information, but like the emotional information about what was what was happening. So thank you, Karen, for reaching out to us. Thank you for including our book in your documentary. And listeners, check it out. Again, it's called A Witch in the Family, and um, it was made by one of our coven mates. So let's support that. I feel like the prescription this week is like, um, like, like little jolts of love and joy to try to sustain a network that's under stress you know I love this idea of jolting like um what do we call those machines like when you have a stroke an EKG machine or something yeah yeah, where you you and you're putting these jolts of electricity to keep someone alive yeah like that that's what it feels like these little love jolts of electricity that are like literally keeping each other alive Truly. Okay, so I have a letter too. Um, We got a letter this week from someone I'll cite as S. And I'm going to read this whole letter mostly because I relate to almost every piece of it. (laughs) And I feel like so many of us do. Um, So S writes, Dear Amy and Risa, you both feel like my long lost older siblings that I never had. Being an older sister of one and knowing my mom miscarried before me, I always felt I had a wound of not having a safe older sibling to guide me and protect me in the ways that I needed. I was shunned even by my own mother for feeling 
and cast aside by countless others more time than I can count. I've been told many times by many people that I'm the problem. If only I could be less sensitive. I have always felt very deeply from a young age. The depths of my emotions are vast, all-encompassing, and at times all-consuming. I don't run. I embrace and fearlessly face. My sensitivities throughout my life were not nurtured in the ways I needed to fully use those abilities. That's the path I'm on now, healing those parts of myself. I have and had a way of making people around me feel uncomfortable because of my feelings. Not realizing my emotions are a crux while simultaneously the ability to feel is one of my greatest gifts. Oh, I felt that one. S. She writes, I found your page, Missing Witches, and went back in the archives and listened to nearly all of them back to back, cleaning, bedazzling, and tidying my home. Oh, bless your bedazzlement. You both became a part of my home. You created a sense of safety and nourished my soul and body. You became a part of my long lost family in some ways. I spend so much time alone and that's so odd in some ways to say, but you created a sense of safety that I've been yearning for. The knowledge I learned and the people in your space, lives and community shared their experiences in such a manner that I was able to accept many of the disowned parts of myself, allowing me to accept and love myself deeper than I was before. I laughed and cackled with you along with your guests. There were occasions I cried with you also. I live in Winnipeg. Curious if either of you have been around these parts. I have. She writes, I work as a support worker in the community in the field of mental health and addictions. The episode where you had that witches found that was part of Mad Pride in Toronto, that's Molly McGregor, still has such resonance and influence. I take this everywhere I go because of my own experiences with the psychiatric system, a system that I have so often felt oppressed by. And the themes that often emerge from the work I do with folks is that of oppression, but owning my madness, attempting to encourage others to do so in my own way has in particular allowed me to transcend the stigmas I had against myself that had been weighing me down for half my life. A year and a half ago, I left a very toxic relationship with a man that called me many unmentionables, but one evening in particular, an evil witch, because I have always been someone with a fighting spirit when provoked. I'll always call people out when I'm being attacked. My words cut like a sharp tongue as I am in tune with many truths. This derogatory name calling was the catalyst to all this. It was after I left that relationship, I started to get back to my roots. I'd always had a fascination with witches as a child, but never been called an evil witch. And although he used it as an insult, I sort of felt an uncanny clandestine awakening to my true nature. Months later, I recalled this fight, the words spoken, and started researching witches. I became obsessed. All I wanted was witches and to be surrounded by witches. That's why I looked up witch podcasts one day. I wanted to think about witches in every aspect of my life while I was away from my computer, even while muddying myself with the seemingly mundane yet now reclaimed as magical tasks. And I continue to listen. Your voices soothe me and comfort me in my times of confusion and sorrow. Solace and surrender has been found and I can revisit your podcast whenever I need to be lifted up into the sky, flying high. From up here, the feelings aren't nearly as heavy. This evening, I went for a walk in the rain in my neighborhood. West Broadway, full of action. And a lovely man of gray saw me frolicking along and said, I'm glad to see someone else enjoying the rain. We're not all made of sugar. This reminded me, 
I'm all sorts of things, but mostly spice. I just beaming, first of all, so beautifully written. Like, you know, that thing, that too sensitive thing, which we write about in, in New Moon Magic. Charlie Watts talks about how um, when she's working with neurodivergent kids, there's this, there's so many more kids who are being diagnosed or categorized as highly sensitive HSPs, highly sensitive people. And she's like, you know, maybe there's more diagnosis happening because there's more awareness. But my witchy side, she says, thinks about how the universe is expanding. But there's literally more space, you know, that we're stretched thin and we feel things more. And I relate to that so much. I felt stretched too thin. I felt too porous when I when I was in chronic pain, when I when I was in my migraine years. I I felt too, too much all the time. Every sound, every, every headline, you know, would, was devastation. And that's a reasonable response to the fucking world now. And it was then, you know, yeah. it's reasonable for us to feel so sensitive, to feel so stretched thin. That is, that is wisdom and a gift but figuring out our own ways to find balance in that. And I think some of it has to do with dancing in the rain. And so part of my prescription is a rain spell. We are in historic nightmare fires in Quebec. And I know you all know that because our smog has reached you everywhere you are. So we're on fire and you can't breathe. And we need spells to summon our courage and also to deepen our relationship with the rain we do you know we need to go to places and like sing our love for the water and listen to what it needs from us how are we helping to heal and honor the water that moves through us and our entire planet and knows us better than anything else knows us what does it know that can help us heal right now so the prescription is I'm going to link to it. The original 1983 performance of Purple Rain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the first time this song is ever performed. And Wendy Melvin, 19, she was backstage. Prince heard her playing because she was dating another girl in the band that wasn't called The Revolution yet, Lisa Coleman. Prince heard her play. And then when the guitarist didn't fucking show up that day, he was <laughs> like, uh, can Wendy play? So Wendy steps on the stage. She's like 19. And that guitar that you hear through with Prince, with the band that would become the revolution on stage at an arts fundraiser in Minnesota is young Wendy making it fucking rain. And it becomes the original recording. You can still hear her. That first time they played it live is the original recording. They dubbed strings over it and stuff, but, but that's her. She's there, you know, she went on to like win Emmys for TV and, and movies and stuff, music. But I just, that moment of like, I just want you to remember that we've always been there, that like queer people have been there, women have been there, that we've stepped in and made beautiful, joyful, transcendent music together forever. And I want you to dance to Purple Rain <laughs> and fully dance it out in your body 
and and talk to the water in your body while you dance whatever whatever form of dance is available to you for the whole song i think it's like eight minutes <laughs> yeah, and it's not super up tempo so you can really mm-hmm. get like lyrical dance yes. with it which yeah send us videos <laughs> <laughs> i want your weirdest ballet I, I have to say I was lucky enough to see Prince um, when Prince performed in Montreal. I don't remember what year it was. It was maybe five years before he died. And when he, first of all, one of the greatest live performers I've ever seen in my life, like plays guitar as well as Jimi Hendrix is as funky as James Brown, like just mind blowing. And when they played purple rain this was like in a in a in a um stadium is the word i'm looking for and it was indoors it was in a stadium so when they played purple rain they released these like little purple tissue mm. bits you know that like like a confetti but like big big lofty confetti and none of us were expecting it and the whole crowd was just already in this like spiritual moment Uh and then this just purple tissue paper started Mm -hmm. to fall on us and all of it it was like however many thousands of people were in that stadium were were seeing God and experiencing God in that moment and one of my favorite parts of it that story is that I found purple rain for months I found bits of it in my boots and in my pockets I still have some I have a little tiny Ziploc bag in my magic magic super magic box with like two little pieces of purple tissue paper that I know are magical Um, if anyone else saw them they would probably just think they were bits of garbage but again (laughs) here we are (laughs) (laughs) okay I have to add information about the color purple too not the movie the color purple oh special the book no the (laughs) the color um so my kid got the gift of this children's book um called Perkins Perfect Purple I think and so then I went uh, as you do when you're avoiding a deadline just on a deep dive about the color purple so I want you to wear purple this week too it's not everyone's color it's very bold this was a color that was like it was illegal for non-royals to wear it at certain points in history Roman emperors could wear it Roman plebes could get killed for wearing it. The queen could wear it. You you can't fucking touch it. Mostly because it was so fucking expensive. You had to like squash like 20,000 of these small mollusks and then let their slime age in the sun until it turned purple but sort before you could get like Tyrian purple and and it was like the beautiful purple that would actually last. They tried all these different other kinds of things with moss and stuff but the purple would fade and so it was really this color that was like imbued with this idea of us but not them right and then this chemist who lived in a very poor part of London whose grandfather he found his grandfather's secret alchemy studio um and decided he was going to be a chemist right which makes me think about Diane de Prima being like we always have these histories divided of like we get we get Newton and his laws of physics, but not the alchemy. We get John D and the mathematics, but not the ceremonial magic, you know, like it is often in these pursuits in these places of, of questioning 
the occulted and the unseen that we do get these advances in science. And so Perkins decides he's, he's this kid. He decides he's going to be a chemist. He's looking for a way to make medicine, quinine, and instead using like coal tar. So using like something that England had a massive amount of, and that was basically just a waste product. And he doesn't make quinine, but he makes this perfect purple color. And so they use it for the queen's dress, but he makes a factory. His family goes all in. They thought he was being ridiculous beforehand, but everyone goes all in on making this factory and everyone can afford purple and everyone wants to wear purple. And it becomes something that like, there's just this inversion. Like he uses waste. He stops killing fucking mollusks to do it, you know, and, and it becomes the people's color. 1983, you have Purple Rain, the Prince song, the, the first Prince performance. 1989, at a demonstration in Cape Town against apartheid, people are in the street being sort of violently pushed back as they peacefully demonstrate for the right to fucking exist as humans. And the police decide to spray the protesters with purple rain. They, their idea is to mark anyone who's in that protest so they'll be able to find them, hunt them down later and arrest them. And the people make this like famous uh, in like Cape Town history um, graffiti that says uh, power to the purple <laughs> or power to the purple or the purple must, must rain. The purple people must rain. I'm, I'm fucking up the quote, but people were marked with this purple color. And then a single protester climbed on the back of the water cannon and turned it and sprayed the fucking fascist's white house and painted it purple. <laughs> and I just want you to know that like you are kin with that protester and the people dancing in purple in the night. And, and I mean, just the idea of color, you know? Just the idea of color. We have the um the holy festival in India that's just all about like how can we bring color to this environment and shake up our whole lives. And you made me think too, but uh, Risa, I don't know if you've been watching Yellow Jackets. Um, and there is this group and they oh, all yes. wear purple by by design and by rule, they all have to wear purple. So now I'm sort of even like rethinking that whole that whole um writer's room um obviously writer's strike is happening we support you um the, the ideas are yours and you deserve to be credited and compensated um just as an aside to writers on strike we're with you um but yeah there's this whole group of people who are just like wearing purple as as part of their you know initiation into this group and now i'm like rethinking that that whole thing right <laughs> yeah I mean yeah there's so much we could talk about with cults and color but I don't want you to, to all have to wear the same color <laughs> wear whatever you don't fucking... have to <laughs> wear but the prescription for this week is... <laughs> yeah <laughs> wear what feels right but for me it's pushing out of my comfort zone to wear purple and it, it's a declaration of like joy in the face of my own rage and fear and weeping you can hear the hammering in the background I suspect you can hear it 
there's rot in the walls. We're taking the walls apart. It feels very symbolic and very much like what my life is about. But I also know this as a process that's been going on for thousands of years. We are at one point in the journey. So I have a second piece of the prescription. It's Nina Simone. It's Take Me to the Water. Mm. The song begins like a gospel. It's about, you know, only the saved will get to see Jesus or whatever. But it it has this moment where it turns and it's about water that cools me down. And then, and then, and then she's dancing, you know, and, and it's the full freedom and joy of Nina Simone. And then at the end of the clip, she says, you know, there's only 300 black students in this school of like 18,000 white people. And you've either, you're either very lonely or you've joined together to be incredibly fierce. I don't know which one it is. Um, and she says this, when I die, when I go, I will go knowing that I have left, that everything I did was dedicated to your inspiration because my people don't have anything. So I am giving inspiration 24 seven. I'm poorly paraphrasing because I was sobbing this morning when I listened to it. But just, you know, we live in a world of Nina Simone's, you know, that they they left, they left pure joy and dancing inspiration and calling out to the rain. And so we can do our best to live up to them and to live in the water that they were also in. I think what all of these people that we've we've mentioned um Judy Bloom and Prince and Nina Simone something that they all have in common is that we're drawn to them because of their honesty none of them could even blend in to the woodwork if they tried and we're we're drawn to their emotional honesty and their frankness and and for Nina Simone like her her honesty about anger and for Prince, you know, his, his his honesty about sexuality and gender and messing with all of our, our notions about these things. And of course, Judy Bloom, her honesty about how it feels to grow up and like become a human, you know, become an adult. And I think, I hope that that is also what draws you to us. Teresa and I, that we can be honest about our shame and our sorrow, what we're angry about, what we're so fucking joyful about. And I I think that, that that's what drew S, the letter that you read, and Karen, who made her documentary, is just this, this pursuit of an honest and safe place. So again, the prescription this week is to, to be in that place, to make an honest space, to write a letter, whether you send it or not, to dance to Purple Rain in the most lyrical ballet that you can conjure in your mind, to get angry with Nina Simone, and uh, y'all, and pray for rain. Like, we're all praying for rain. And again, even just that idea of, you know, if you're lucky enough, you have been outside in the sun when the sky just opened up and the rain started to pour down and you and your friends are maybe laughing and screaming and running away to try and find a bus shelter or maybe you're dancing in the rain but let's just let that and again 
non-metaphorically, literally, we need rain. So let's pray for rain. But let's also pray for that like emotional washing where the sky opens up and just pours its tears of joy and sorrow upon us. And we get to frolic in the universe's wonder. Yes. Two quick memories about rain. And I add this to the prescription write or really sit or tell a friend or physically remember a story in your own life of being in a, in the rain of the moment when the sky broke open and you felt the rain you felt the change you smell it feel the chemistry in the air i feel like remembering that will help us call it forth for each other once it was at winnipeg the winnipeg folk festival we went many years mark's probably done it 15 years i think i did four it's the biggest folk festival in canada one of the biggest in the world so seventy thousand people camping out celebrating folk and people's music from all around the world and we were camping in this busted ass trailer <laughs> and the sky had been cloudy and then it broke and it was if you've been in an old 80s metal trailer in pouring rain, you just feel how loud it is. It's like a tin roof, but all around you and it's thundering in the rain. I yeah, it's old. like, it sounds like rocks beating yes. off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, and we had like our eight month old with us. May was eight and we we're just wrapped around her in this thundering tin can. And then it passed and we went and shook the rain off the tarp and dried out the leaky corners and we were standing outside while she slept. And Jupiter and the moon were so huge and perfect in the sky and they followed us that summer and it felt like a blessing even when things were terrifying, they were always there. And then the other one I always remember, I lived in California when I was little with my mom and my stepdad. And my mom woke me up one morning at five o'clock in the morning. We were there in the 80s in the midst of the longest drought California had seen in a long time. And she woke me up ridiculously early in the morning because it was raining. And we ran outside and like ran up and down the street, just hollering in the rain. And we came back inside when it stopped and got hot again. Pavement sizzled and dried and was like... 7 30 or 8 my stepdad woke up and he was like our hair was all wet but you couldn't tell from the city that it had ever happened you know we were we felt like I felt like we were the only ones who knew what a gift it was who knew to run out and celebrate and everything smelled like jasmine and I will be thankful to my mom for that moment for the rest of my life you know we have this like a negative association with rain, you know, like it'll ruin your wedding day or your picnic or like, you know, um, again, the, the, the rain sort of mimics our tears. And so we have this like uh, emotional sadness that we've attached to rain, but again, like we're witches. So we have to recognize like, we need that. Let's, let's dig into that metaphor. We need the rain in order to sustain life on this earth. So really dig into that metaphor this week. Maybe we need to be highly sensitive people in this moment. Maybe we're becoming more sensitive because something is crying out to be noticed by us. Yeah. If you are called to sorrow right now, that is an appropriate response to the world. 
I went to this uh, exhibit at the archaeology museum with May this week, and the one piece I took away from it the most was was that the only paid job available to women in ancient Egypt, did I say Egypt or Greece? I meant Egypt, was a, a mourner, a professional mourner. You could be sold by your family into the priesthood, priestesshood. You know, there were, there were other paths, but the only job that you could go out and get paid to do would be to walk behind a funerary procession, keening, mourning, calling out. Like there, we have, we're so good at this that we have been paid to do it. <laughs> in many thousands of years yeah in many cultures our mourning is recognized as incredibly powerful so don't be afraid of your tears right now and bless the fucking me If you want to support the Missing Witches Project, find out how at missingwitches.com.